Welcome to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. Dick draws his teaching from a deep well of love for the Bible and 50 years of strategic ministry among university students. Enjoy this episode and remember, your Father in Heaven loves you. Beginning our series on prayer today. We'll be doing three sessions on prayer. I want to commend the notes in the ICM notebook that you got, the Campus Leaders Notebook. Jim Bradford wrote those notes, and it's an excellent outline, tremendous stuff. And rather than going through and repeating all of what he said, I'm going to take a little different direction, and you'll need to really read through the, his material on prayer. He gives a lot of helpful uh, ideas, a lot of helpful practical suggestions, and I'm going to count on you to read that on your own time. But let me read just one quote here from page 73 from the Campus Leaders Notebook. This is what Jim says. He says, Prayer is the vehicle which releases God's power and appropriates God's provision for ministry. Every revival and spiritual awakening throughout the history of man can be traced to a small group of individuals who faithfully gave themselves to prayer. The fortresses of satanic control of an average university are certainly incredible, ranging from the fountainheads of secular humanism to the generous assortment of both Eastern and Western cults. However, the power and provision of God released through believing prayer is much greater. A ministry built on prayer has the potential of shaking and reaching any university for God. It is essential that the elements of worship, fellowship, discipleship, and evangelism which give the needed structure to a ministry, be lived out in the context of constant prayer. Such a ministry will be both spirit-led and spirit-empowered rather than being built on the weakness of man's reasoning and skills alone. To accomplish this, prayer must be regarded both as a ministry and as a lifestyle. And that's what I want to challenge you as my brothers and sisters in ministry and in the body of Christ here, that that God will, will form in us a life and a ministry of prayer. I've gotten to know Jim over the past couple of years. I haven't been with him a lot, but I know this, that he's a man of prayer. Jim is a man of prayer, a man who lives out the things that he teaches on when he he does teaching on prayer. And I would that we would all become that. Because like I I mentioned last night, we 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 can deceive ourselves into thinking that if I just get the right techniques, if I get the right program, if I do something... If I can do the right structure, things are going to go and God's going to bless it. And although God may bless that to a certain degree, the true blessing of God comes when we seek him in prayer. And this is, is, we you know, churches get into this mentality of God begins doing a great work in this church over in this town. And so all the ministers come and they want to know, hey, uh, what are you doing? And... uh, you t- the, the, the people that have those kinds of things say, well, we're seeking God and we pray. And everybody goes, yeah, we know that, but, but what are you doing? See, see, what are they asking? They say, give me the structure and I'm going to run over here and we'll do it and God will multiply it. And see, that's simply not true. It's not the fact that the structure makes the life. It's that the spirit is able to bring life to the structure through prayer. And that's really your challenge after having sat through three weeks of a lot of good teaching, and a lot of good ideas You have to go back to the place of prayer and say, okay, Lord, how do you want me to implement this in my life? How can we implement this or expand this in the ministry that I'm now involved in? Because that's the only way that will be lasting fruit. Psalms 127 and verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. God has got to build the houses of our ministry. God has got to put his eternal building blocks into people's lives, or otherwise, our work is going to amount to merely wood, hay, and stubble. The kinds of things that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 that are going to be burned away by the fire. And I don't know about you, but I want my work to last. I want the work that I put my hands to do. Even if it's not much, I want it to last. I want to have, like Jesus said in John 15, I want to have fruit that remains. Fruit that remains. And, and fruit that remains is birthed out of prayer. What is prayer? I define prayer as the communication between God the Father and sons who have been reconciled by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Prayer is communication between God the Father and sons who have been reconciled by the finished work of Jesus Christ. Prayer is out, it is born out of a relationship. 
It's not a religious duty. It's not simply a grocery list that we bring to God and say, God, we need this, 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 and this. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen. It's not that. It's because we are sons of God. We have been adopted into God's family through the work of Jesus. And now we have the standing as sons before God. The whole teaching of the fatherhood of God and us being sons and daughters of God. That's, that's where prayer is born out of. In Matthew 6, verses 7 through 9, Jesus said, And when you are praying, notice Jesus didn't say if you're praying. He says, and when you're praying, presuming that disciples and followers of the Lord will pray. By the way, he, does, he says the same thing about fasting and the giving of alms. So when you're praying... Do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father who art in heaven. Then He goes on and teaches us the Lord's Prayer. But God hears us because we're sons, and we appeal to God because He is our Father. You know, the, the Buddhists... Some, some of you may have seen this. Buddhists have what they call prayer, wheel, prayer wheels. And they have little prayers written on these wheels, and then they spin them, you know, and it really sends up a lot of prayers real quick. And thinking that, you know, just, the more prayers they send up, the better off they're going to be with God. I, I figured, you know, if this kind of thing works, I'd just get an 8-track player, and I'd record all my prayers on this 8-track player, and then just set up a stereo and turn it on. And, man, 24 hours a day, prayers would be going up to God. But see, God doesn't work that way. It's not just the words. It's not just the volume of of noise that's going up, nor the amount of words, but it's the relationship that we have with God. In relationship or prayer, in, yeah, the relationship of prayer involves asking and receiving, it involves hearing from God, and it, involve, it involves thanking and adoring, the whole aspect of worship, which we've been covering the last few days. Asking and receiving, hearing and adoring and thanking. Especially the area of hearing. It's important that we learn to hear the voice of, of God, and learn to recognize the quickening of the Spirit in our lives, the directions that the Holy Spirit would want to give us in, in everything that we do. Why do we pray? Number one, we pray because we love Him. Really, love is our motive for prayer, because we delight and love the God of the universe. We fulfill the great commandment of loving the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Prayer is more than a duty. But prayer is something we do out of love. Second thing, we, 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 the reason why we pray is because we need him. John 15, 5, Jesus says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And our need for God is expressed in the time that we spend in prayer. And so we can, we can, we can look at our lives and, and you know, we can kind of, Look at, look at the last month of our lives. How much time have we spent in prayer? And we can look at the amount of time, and that gives us some kind of indication of how much we need God. Because we can talk about prayer all we want, and we can say, yeah, you know, we got to pray. Things don't happen if we don't pray. And yet, if our lifestyle doesn't reflect that priority, then really we're hypocrites, and we really don't believe fully in the power of prayer. And what's worse is that we subtly believe that we can do it on our own. And that's pride and independence, and that's an abomination in the sight of God, thinking that we don't need the Almighty to do His work. And that's really what the sin of prayerlessness is. It's, it's based in pride that says, I can do God's work. I don't need the anointing of God's Spirit. It's real arrogant. Not, not one of us would say that with our mouth. But our lifestyle says that if we neglect the place of prayer. The third reason we pray is because God commands it. Over and over in the Word, He commands that we pray, and God has made it abundantly clear that He is one who delights in answering the prayers of His people. Somewhere in the Psalms, David says that the prayer of the upright is a delight to the Lord. God is delighted with the prayers of the upright. And because God answers prayer, God can do more if we pray than if we don't. I don't fully understand the theology of prayer and the whys and the wherefores and what happens? But I believe this, that God can do more if we pray than if we don't. That puts a real yoke of responsibility on our shoulders, doesn't it? And especially with leaders. A, a leader is, is very much accountable for his prayer life. And prayer allows God to be impartially partial. Prayer allows God to be impartially partial. And I like to think of it this way. 
You know, Satan somehow has access to the courts of God. And this happened when he was accusing Job. And, and, and well, in fact, it was God who picked the fight in the case of Job because God says, have you noticed my servant Job? And Satan was real defensive and irritated about the whole thing. And he said, well, yeah, you know, you let me touch his material things and then we'll see how much Job serves you. And God so much trusted and had such a uh, confidence in his servant Job that he allowed Satan to bring those uh, physical, or you know, the material trials, the loss of all his possessions on him. And God won because Job did not curse God. And so Satan was real irritated about that. And same thing sort of things happens when God comes to the rescue in someone's life. Satan comes and accuses God and says, hey, God, what are you doing? What are you, what, what are you doing ministering in Steve's life, you know? You're being impartial, or you're being partial. You're, you're picking him out and giving him special favor. And God goes, oh, no, I'm not, because his friend prayed for him, and I'm able to come and do that. And so it, see, it allow God, allows God to come and do things that maybe otherwise he couldn't do because of the, um, the fact that man has been given authority here on this earth. God gave authority to men, and people still have authority here. And so when I pray and when I ask God to minister in a situation, it allows God to come in and Satan can stand back and accuse all he wants and all God does and says, well, they prayed, they asked, so here I am doing, doing my will, anointing with my spirit and, and blessing these folks. And I just have a feeling that that makes Satan mad. That he gets real upset with that. And so he will do everything he can to thwart our prayer lives. I want to just read through a couple of scriptures. These are listed on your notes. Why don't you just listen to these? Luke 18.1, Jesus was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and to not lose heart. Jesus was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Either we're going to pray or we're going to lose heart. We're going to pray or we're going to faint. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul exhorts us to pray without ceasing. In Mark 9.29, after the disciples had unsuccessfully tried to cast a demon out of a young man. The disciples asked Jesus about why he could cast it out, and they couldn't. And Jesus said to them, This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Some versions add, and fasting. And that shows us that there's obstacles that take concentrated seasons of prayer, that take more than just the normal life of prayer in order to bring victory. Ephesians 6.18, Paul, at the end of his brilliant book to the Ephesians says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And then in 2 Corinthians 1.11, Paul makes this testimony about prayer. He says, you also joining in helping us through your prayers that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed upon us through the prayers of many. And you know, when we pray for each other, when we pray for particular targets in the world, we're becoming partners in the gospel. And it's like, you know, we pray, God uses whoever vessel he's using, and then everybody gives thanks because we recognize that God did something great, and everybody rejoices together. And Paul says that one waters, one plants, but God gives the increase. And see, the increase, I believe, comes through prayer. God is able to give the increase as we seek him diligently in prayer. And uh, it says also in, in somewhere, in either First or Second Corinthians, it says that each man will be rewarded according to his labor. I think it's Second Corinthians. Paul says that each man will be rewarded according to his own labor. And it's in the context of giving that he's talking about that. But that's also applicable to, pr- to prayer. So each, each of us will be rewarded on the, on the great... Day of, uh, of the judgment seat of Christ. We'll be rewarded according to our deeds in prayer. First Peter 4, 7. Peter, the, the, the man who, who, who is noted for always sticking his foot in his mouth, being the vocal one among the disciples. In his later years, he says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. What a strong statement. Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Because the end of all things is at hand. Is at hand. The end of this age is imminently upon us. Second Chronicles 7.14. I'm sure most of you are familiar with this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive your sin 
and I'll heal your land, says the Lord. So the impetus for change in, 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 in the affairs of the earth is upon us. And God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, that's the thing of confessing our need before God, humble ourselves and pray and seek the face of God and turn from our own wickedness, then God's going to respond and he's going to, to pour out healing and blessing and he's going to extend his kingdom. And then finally, in Revelation chapter 8, you get a very special picture of how important prayer is to God. Revelation 8, verses 3 and 4. It says, And another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and, ha- and much incense was given to him that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up, up before God out of the angel's hand. And then the angel takes the censer, and as he spreads the incense, judgments come and happen on the earth. Tremendous things happen. But you notice what is on the, go- on the altar in golden bowls before the throne of God? It's the prayers of the saints. And somehow, God's got a bunch of liquid prayers up there before him. And see, they're so special to God that he puts them. And he keeps them right there in his presence, right on the front table in his front room, you know. And he says, these are so precious to me that I keep them. And then when, when somehow the prayers are, are a part of uh, God's action when he judges and changes the destiny of nations, see, our prayers have, an, have some effect in that. That's, that's, that's how precious our prayers are to God. Notice church attendance slips aren't in those bowls. Good works aren't in there. Tithing receipts, credentials. Not even the campus minister's mailing list is in there. But it's the prayers of the saints. That shows us, see, God through his word is showing us how important the ministry of prayer is. I want to read you some quotes about prayer. Many good quotes that great men of God throughout the ages have have discovered and learned in their own prayer life with God, and we can take encouragement from these. S.D. Gordon says, The greatest thing anyone can do for God and man is pray. It is not the only thing, but it is the chief thing. The great people of the earth today are people who pray. I do not mean those who talk about prayer, nor those who say they believe in prayer, nor yet those who can explain about prayer, but I mean those people who take the time to pray. See, it's not the theology of prayer. It's not just the mental assent to it, but it's taking the time to do it. And that's why in Luke 11, 1, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Not teach us how to pray, but teach us to do it. Teach us to pray, just as John the Baptist was teaching his disciples too. E.M. Bounds says this, We must work as if all depended upon man, and we must pray as if all depended on God. I think that's a good balance. We need to work as it all depended on us, and we need to pray as if it all depended on God. He also said, God shapes the world by prayer. The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be. The mightier the forces against evil. The prayer of God's saints are the capital stock of heaven by which God carries on his great work on the earth. God conditions the very life and prosperity of his cause on prayer. And John Wesley says, God will do nothing but in answer to prayer. Again, S.D. Gordon says, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you can, cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. And I believe that establishes the importance of prayer in our lives. And I want to talk about six or seven different areas that I have found to be helpful in my own life. And I want to hopefully try to give you some words of encouragement and some things that will stimulate you to to a greater life of prayer. I don't know about you, but when I hear conferences on prayer, I've been to two Change the World schools of prayer, and they're good conferences. But if, if you're like me, I tend to leave with kind of this, oh no, I'm failing again. I don't know if I'll ever be able to pray like I ought to. And a lot of times I have almost a sense of condemnation that, man, I'm just not cutting it like I ought to. And when Jim Bradford came and shared with us at the retreat back in February out in Montana, he did a great job of, of, of instead of leaving that kind of cloud of heaviness and, 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 and the, the accusing finger saying, you don't pray enough, you're not spending enough time with God, 
You know, the world is going to hell because you're not praying. And all, and all just kind of leaves you hopeless, you know. But instead of that, he lifted us up with the hope that we can learn to become better prayer warriors by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the sense I hope I can leave with you. Not a sense of condemnation, not a sense that, oh man, I'm just never going to be able to cut it as a minister. I just, you know, I just can't do it. That's not the impression God wants us to leave with. But he wants us to leave with the encouragement that by the power of the Spirit in our lives, Jesus is going to teach us to become the kind of prayer warrior that we need to be. Everyone can be great in prayer. There's a little quote there that's on your notes. I think it's on the first page. It says, not everybody can be a, a good teacher. Not everybody can be a good minister or a good pastor. Not everyone can even be up front and uh, be a public sort of person. But you know, every one of us can be great prayer warriors. Every one of us can be a great disciple of the Lord in prayer. And I want to ask you three questions about your own prayer life. And you think about your prayer life as we go through these. The first question Does the praying that you do hinder Satan and the powers of darkness? Does the praying that you do hinder the work of the devil in the earth? An interesting scripture is Acts chapter 19. And it says in uh, verse 13, it says, But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And apparently they were having some results. You know, they were going from place to place and people were getting delivered of evil spirits just because these guys were standing up and saying, I adjure you to go in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And the evil spirits, they have such a, um, a respect for the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's so much power in the name of Jesus that they were leaving simply on that basis. But they met up with their match because... This one fellow challenged them, and the evil spirit challenged these, these guys that were doing this. And the evil spirit said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? See, the demons, the Bible says that the demons know who Jesus is. They shudder, and they know who Jesus is. The, the demons, they had no trouble recognizing the Son of Man when he was on the earth, did they? Because when they saw him, they said, are you here to torment us before the time? See, they recognized who the Son of God was right away, far more quickly than most people do. And then the demon said, I know Paul. And I think, whoa, man. Paul was doing so much damage to the kingdom of darkness that the demons, there was an APB out on Paul. and They they to get him. Anyone that got Paul and could mess him up was, was due for some kind of promotion from the big man himself. See, there was an APB out on Paul because he was so effective against knocking the gates of darkness down. And Satan had put out a a special bullet into all his demonic forces saying, stop that man. He's causing me trouble. You, You put a contract out on him. And that's interesting to me. And is your name known in hell? Do they know about you? Do the demons know about you? you? Are you the kind of prayer warrior that is given the devil fits? That is, that is starting to infringe upon his kingdom. And you guys, I don't think the enemy gets too upset when we play church. I don't think the enemy gets too upset when we go through a lot of religious activity. I don't think Satan gets too impressed with conferences. He gets a little disturbed when there's good worship. But until we dedicate ourselves to the ministry of prayer individually and corporately, I don't think the enemy really gets all that upset. In fact, I think... Sometimes Satan is the author of religiosity. He gets people religious, not and religion. Let me define religious as being something that's not in a relationship with God. It's the thing of tradition, going and doing it because you've always done it before. And Jesus wants us to live, you know, in the real life relationship with Him. And Satan gets bothered when we start dedicating ourselves to sincere prayer, and when you start bonding yourself with other brothers and sisters covenanting together to pray for the campus, for nations, for your friends, for whatever the need is, then the enemy starts getting worried and he starts particularly coming against you. See, I think it's kind of an honor to be known in hell. You know, most most Christians probably are, are so ineffective that Satan doesn't worry about them. They're no threat to his kingdom. But the ones that move ahead in prayer, those are the ones he starts hearing about and those are the ones that he tries to stop. And I don't know about you, but I want to be known in hell. 
I want the demons to be saying, who is that Dick Schroeder? Who is that? Let me meet that guy. See, I want, I'd like to be known by the demons because of my prayer walk with Jesus. And I trust that all of you will have that same desire. And boy, you better be known by the powers of darkness if you're going to penetrate your campus. Because that's where the real battle is, is in, is in the spiritual places that are holding people's minds in captivity. And that power can only be broken by the Holy Spirit through our prayers. So, make it your goal to be known in hell. And the second question is, what are you praying for that's impossible? What are you praying for that is impossible? And God specializes in doing the impossible, doesn't he? And that way he gets the glory. That way it's no, there's no way that we could have come up with the ideas, no way we could come up with the resources to do the work of God. And so we need to believe God for the impossible. God specializes in that, and he delights in doing things that are impossible through human vessels. There's a book by Jack Hayford called Prayer is Invading the Impossible. It's a good book, but I'm particularly intrigued with the title because when we pray, we're invading the realm of the impossible where God can do exceedingly, abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. And what are you praying for that's impossible? What kinds of things do you pray for? Do you pray for things that will kind of eventually happen anyway? Or are you setting your sights high and asking God for, for something that's consistent with his character of greatness? Like pioneering campus ministry, that's asking for the impossible because that kind of thing is just not going to happen in this age. But God can raise something up. Do you believe that you can be at a campus and be involved in a campus ministry that can send young men and women to the ends of the earth? Oh, I believe God for that. I, I, I have a great vision for our campus that God is going to send people to some of these hidden people groups in the world. That God's going to raise up people that somehow... I'm going to have some, some, some um, influence and impact in their lives that are going to work on the world hunger problem, that are going to solve some of the messes that, that we've gotten ourselves into in our rebellion against God. And of course, that's impossible, but I'm, I'm setting my sights high because we serve a great God. And you need to do that. We need to pray for things that are impossible. Thirdly, is your praying producing other prayer warriors? Is your praying producing other prayer warriors? How many of you have heard about the church in Korea, Pastor Cho's church? I'm sure most of you have here. Phenomenal church. And every time you hear about it, it's grown some more. You know, they're growing a couple of thousand converts a month now. And the last I heard, it was up somewhere about 500,000. It's just been phenomenal. And you know what? One of the secret of their ministries is, is we talk about, you know, they have cell groups and home groups, and they've, they've done a lot of good things. But the real secret of their ministry is that they, had, they bought a park in the middle of Seoul, and, and it's, it's a place with a lot of caves and stuff, and as many as 10,000 Christians a day are there praying. 10,000. Man, get 10,000 people praying together. Things are going to happen, aren't they? And things are happening. The church is marked by signs and wonders. Miracles take place there all the time, miracles of healing, and it's drawing the people in Korea uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think if our ministry, if, if our ministries are going to be effective, then we have to embrace this area of, of corporate prayer, and we need to be reproducing other prayer warriors. Amen? So we need to be reproducing other prayer warriors, which presupposes that you're going to be a prayer warrior yourself. Now I want to read some quotes here by a lady named Basilea Schlink. She is the leader of a group called the Sisters of Mary in Darmstadt, Germany, she is a, a Lutheran, lady, Lutheran lady, and this is a Lutheran sisterhood, and a dear, dear, dear group of, of, of women that are truly um, handmaidens for the Lord, really kind of, in a, in kind of in the Catholic nun tradition, but these women are tremendous women of prayer. And she has some quotes here that I want you to take to heart. First one, she says, is that the effectiveness of your service to God will be proportional to the time that you spend in communion with the Father. So your outward ministry to people is going to be only as effective as your inward time of prayer and communion with God the Father. She also says the power and authority of your service will correspond to your dedication to a hidden life of prayer. The fruit you bear will correspond to the time spent in true prayer. And notice the emphasis on the word hidden. The hidden place of prayer the place that no one else sees but you and God alone. And that's why the ministry of prayer is so difficult, is it because it is not immediately rewarded. 
No one sees it when you stay up late at night and pray. No one sees it when you get up at five in the morning and pray. No one sees it when you take your lunch hour and go to some quiet place and pray for an hour and and pour out your heart before God. Only God sees that. And that's why I think, especially in America, see, we're so attuned to success. We want to do the thing that works. And prayer doesn't yield immediate results, does it? See, prayer, you don't just pray today and use the answer here tomorrow. It usually takes time for things to work out. And it takes time to develop that life of communion with God the Father. And as a result, we're so tempted to get so busy that we forget the real essential things, that time of God with prayer. She also says, The true servants of God are prayer warriors. God's glory will be revealed in your service in proportion to the time spent in hidden communion with God. It is in prayer that the battles for your service will be won. Those, are, those, are, those have been life-giving quotes to me as I have sought over the last number of years to align my life with those realities, to spend the time in hidden communion with God the Father and to really dedicate myself to taking the time necessary for prayer. Jesus affirms this in Matthew 6, 5 and 6. Jesus said, And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites. The Phillips translation says the play actors, because that's what the word hypocrite means, the play actors, those who put on a good show for men. You're not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Their motive is for self-glory. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. And uh, the Phillips translation is really, it's really uh, kind of cynical. He says, boy, they have all they're going to get. And that's true. But Jesus says, but you, when you pray, again, not if you pray, but when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. The King James adds openly, will openly reward you. And you know, when I look at a congregation, and when I don't see the mark of the blessing of God on a congregation or a group... Unfortunately, due to the fact that this series was recorded on a cassette tape, some content was... Because God says, where there is true prayer being offered up to Him, then there is going to be the reward openly seen. And it may, they may not know it was you that was praying, but there's going to be the obvious reward of that God is doing something in His people... And when, when we see a lack of, of things happening, I think we have to ask ourselves the question, is there the kind of hidden prayer going on that really needs to be? I have a quote here I want to read. One does not to be spiritual, one does not need to be spiritual to preach, that is, to make and deliver a sermon of homiletical perfection and exegetical exactitude. By a combination of memory, knowledge, ambition, personality, plus a well plus a well-lined bookshelves. Sorry, Harvey. Self-confidence and a sense of having arrived. Brother, the pulpit is yours almost anywhere these days. Preaching of this type mentioned affects men. Prayer affects God. Preaching affects time. Prayer affects eternity. The pulpit can be a, a shop to display our talents. The closet speaks death to display. That's by a quote by Leonard Ravenhill. He's got some fine books. He's a real fiery type of writer on prayer and Really, I can only handle a little bit of him at a time as it gets so heavy. But see, that's this thing. If we can press each other by our abilities and things, I don't want you to discount what Harvey is teaching us because we do need to be good students of the Word of God. But coupled with that, we need to have the hidden life of prayer which gives the authority to what we speak. And people's, people's lives are going to be changed as a result of it. I want to look at, in, in Luke chapter 18... There's two negative attitudes that we need to watch in prayer that we don't get caught up in. These are personal attitudes that we need to guard ourselves from so that we're not getting caught up in. The first one, well, let me read Luke 18, 9 first. And he also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they viewed others with contempt. Now, the two bad attitudes for prayer are, one, trusting in yourself, and two, looking at others with contempt. I want to talk about this thing of trusting in yourself. In John 15, 5, the scripture that I, that I read before, I want to read that for you. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. 
He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. To abide in Christ as a branch abides in, in, in the main trunk and roots of the tree, that is the secret, I think, to a dynamic prayer life. See, because if we try in our own strength to say, well, I'm, I'm going to pray an hour a day. I am going to fast whatever times a month or whatever times a week. That self-effort, God cannot bless that. Because it's, it's independent from God. It's God, I'm going to do something for you. And true humility says, God, I can't do this on my own. But through my relationship with you, I can do all things. And, and I believe, you guys, that's the secret for having a good prayer life is, is learning to abide in Christ. Learning to abide in that relationship and communion out of which prayer and intercession springs as that well that we talked about yesterday from John 4. The well that Jesus puts within us and it bubbles up to eternal life. And, it's, and I, I believe it's by the energy of the Holy Spirit that we can have the kind of prayer life that God wants us to have. And so instead of us looking at ourselves and saying, oh, Dick, you don't pray enough. You're just never going to make it. You're never going to be the man God wants you to be. Instead of looking at me, I turn to Jesus, who is the intercessor of the ages, and I say, oh, Jesus, help me to be like you. Help my heart to beat like your heart does. And, my, and let my compassion be your compassion so that I will be driven out of desire to that place of prayer. And that's, that's what abiding in Christ is. In Revelation 3, verses 17 and 18, I think this is a real picture of American Christianity. What church in America could we get to spend, you know, a whole weekend in prayer? Pastor Cho has prayer retreats where everybody just, you know, everybody that can goes up to the prayer mountain. They spend the whole weekend there just quiet in those caves and in the park benches and everything praying. What church could we get to do that? You know, we have trouble getting people to come to an hour prayer meeting. Some of you may have had all-night prayer meetings, and we get a few people to come to that. But how about, what if we had a prayer retreat, and we just had prayer for the, the, the two days that we had a, a retreat together? How many people would we get? And, and it just shows us, I think, kind of the impoverished condition of the American church. And, and Jesus addresses this in Revelation 3. And this is what the church at Laodicea says. Jesus said, because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. See, there's that attitude of trusting in ourselves. Well, after all, Lord, we've got cassette tape ministry. We've got photocopiers. Man, we've got projectors. We've got big buildings with air conditioning and padded pews. God, what else do we need? See, we trust in ourselves, and we think that just because we've got television, radio, and all the other paraphernalia that goes with the 20th century, we think that, man, Lord, what do we need? We don't, we don't even need to pray anymore. We've got television and satellites. Hallelujah. And yet Jesus says, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You know, I think that's a picture of American Christianity. We're wretched, we're miserable, we're poor, we're blind, and we're naked. Because by our lifestyle, we're saying, I have need of nothing. Who needs to pray? Who needs to spend all night in prayer? After all, we've got a great church. See what I'm saying? And I want you to hear. I'm not critical. I'm not being critical. I'm just trying to be trying to evaluate where American Christianity is. Because you guys, compared to where the third world is, the American church is, is really falling behind. And when you get a revival like it, what is happening in Korea, is happening in Asia, where people are taking up the cross and following the Lord. And they're they're changing their world. Tremendous things happening in the third world. And people are doing what Jesus said. They're believing the scripture and they're aligning their lifestyles with it. And we kind of sit back here in America and think that we're kind of the kingpins of the world. And I appreciate and I praise God for what he's done through the American church. But you guys, we're getting Laodicean in our thinking. We think that we have it all together. And people come from other countries and they look at American Christianity and they go, are you guys even Christians? I can't believe the, the affluence and the apathy in your midst. Where's the spirit of God? Where's the zeal for evangelism? Where's the zeal and love for God? Where's the dedicated discipleship lifestyle? They don't see it. And so we need to not get caught up into that. We need to say, oh, Lord, we need to do what he, he advises in verse 18. Jesus says, I advise you to buy from me. 
See, it costs us something. It is not handed out for free, but it costs us something. I advise that you buy from me gold refined by fire, that you may become rich, and white garments, that you may clothe yourself, and that the shame of your nakedness, we could even say the shame of our prayerlessness, may not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes that we might see as Jesus sees. And then he says, to those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Then he goes on to say, behold, I stand at the door and knock, because Jesus wants fellowship with us. And the Laodicean church is so rich, they don't need Jesus anymore. They've got all these other external things, and they don't need the Lord. So we need Jesus, don't we? And I want to commend to you a a, a discipline that that I've learned and I'm, I'm trying to grow in, and that's the discipline of waiting on God. The discipline of waiting before the Lord. And I, this is one kind of praying among many. It's not the only kind of praying, but I, I believe this is a discipline that we need to, to be cultivating. And it's really similar to what I was talking about last night, about the discipline of worshiping God in, in, in your own prayer closet, in that time, that quiet time with God every day. In Isaiah 40 and verse 31, the Bible says, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, they will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become worried, or not become weary. And so the Bible promises that those who wait for the Lord or wait upon the Lord, they're going to be filled with new strength. They're going to be empowered to run and not get weary, walk and not faint. In fact, he even says that you're going to fly like the eagles do. You're going to be able to soar to great heights on the wind of the Spirit because we take the time to wait on the Lord. And we need to have that, that, that presence of mind and the discipline of spirit to spend time before the throne of God. That's what the communion with the Father is all about. That time where we push aside all the thoughts, even all the prayer requests that we have, and we just let us, our spirit commune with God and love Him and, and, and worship Him and listen See, it's in that place of listening that we're able to get our instructions from God. And I believe that as we cultivate a, a, a sense of waiting on God, and as we cultivate that discipline, then as we leave the, our, our, our place of tabernacling with God in, in our quiet time, that we're more sensitive to hear the Spirit of God throughout the rest of the day. And just like Peter and James, um, uh, Peter and John, when they were walking to the temple one day, and they're walking along, and there's this beggar sitting there. And the Holy Spirit says, I want to heal this guy. And this guy was begging for money, and they said, hey, we don't have any money to give you, but what we do have, we give you. In the name of Jesus, walk. That guy stood up and was healed, and the whole city of Jerusalem knew about it. And it was that, I see John and Peter, they were walking with Jesus. They, didn't, they had no idea what God had for that day, but they were in tune. And the Spirit said to them, I want to heal them. I want to heal that man. And so they stopped and they said, with confidence, they knew God was going to do it because they had, they had heard clearly the voice of the Lord. And bam, it happened. And Jerusalem knew about it. And the place was turned upside down. See, that, that, if, we will, if we will take that time to be with the Lord in quiet communion, then we're going to have that sensitivity to the Spirit. That's, that's I think, the key, is to, that's the key to being used in the gifts of the Spirit. Simply hearing from Jesus. And, and as we, as we uh, kind of uh, polish up our, our tuner, as, as we fine-tune our hearing of the Spirit of God, then we're, we're more sensitive when God desires to direct us in any given particular time or on a particular day. We need to learn to get quiet and listen to Him. I don't know if, if you have this trouble, but it's hard for me to get quiet before God. It has been a real battle for me to discipline my mind to slow down. Just to, to push back all of the merry-go-round of thoughts and responsibilities that I'm accountable for and just say, Lord, I'm just going to be here quiet before you. And I'm just going to let the old system wind down. I'm just going to relax. I'm going to be in your presence for this time. And I, had to, I have battled with that for many years to come to that place of quietness and rest. To come to that place where my spirit is quiet before the Lord and I'm just resting before him. Now, again, I don't always feel the presence of God. Sometimes I don't feel anything. Sometimes I feel pretty dead inside, especially in the morning sometimes. 
But learning to wait is a discipline. It's not a matter of your feelings. We're not searching to have an experience with God, although the experiences are going to follow, but we're, we're, we're primarily seeking God. We're just wanting to be quiet before him. In Proverbs chapter 8, verses 34 and 35, another very precious scripture, Solomon says, he says, Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates and waiting at my doorposts. For he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, do you wait at the gate of the Lord every day? Do you wait, as it were, at the feet of Jesus, like Mary was doing when Martha was busy getting lunch together? Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus, and she knew what was the, she knew what the important thing to do was. She did the, the, the thing that Jesus said was the essential thing, and that's to wait on the Lord and to, to sit at his feet. And when we wait on God, there's, there's a little axiom here. Well, while we wait, God acts. While we wait, God acts. But while, while we act, God waits for us. And that's why waiting on the Lord is such an important issue in our lives. Is we need to wait before God. And while, when we're in that posture of waiting and being quiet before him, then he is going to act on our behalf. Some practical steps on this is we need to confess our dependence on God. Lord, I need you today. Lord, I can only do the things that you anoint me to do. My work will perish. Your work is eternal. There needs to be that clear attitude of dependency. And we need to rid ourselves of any notions that somehow we're great and can do things for God. We need to realize that we're just the water pipe and the glory of God simply flows through our lives. It's the glory of God that's important. And this thing that I call the poise of the soul and the poise of the soul is, is which direction is your heart pointed, pointed towards? Is your heart pointed towards God? Or is your heart really pointed towards the things of the world? Things of this age, you know, things that are not necessarily wrong, but they're just things that are not eternal. And I can tell a person, pretty much just by meeting them, pretty much on first glance, I can tell the people that have a hunger for God. There's something about it. I know the people whose heart says, like David, Lord, I want to be a man after your own heart or a woman after your own heart. And you can sense in the Holy Spirit people that are genuinely hungry for God and, and those that are, are, are not really. They're still believers. They're, they're still saved by the blood of Jesus. But their heart just isn't in that place of seeking, really seeking first the kingdom of God. And you see, when our, the poise of our soul is toward the Lord, we're in that place where we can hear him, where we're, we're just talking to God all day and we're able to commune with him and he's able to speak with us and we're able to, to pray to him. Even in the midst of our busy schedule, we're able to do that. And then, like I mentioned last night, the omnipresence of God, God is everywhere, but the manifest presence is where he comes and he manifests himself to us in a, in a special way. And as we practice the discipline of waiting on God, then God is going to manifest his spirit in our, his spirit in our lives more and more. There's a story that I heard a man named Ken Wright. He's a, a man of God from New Zealand, and he comes through uh, the United States every couple of years teaching. He's a tremendous man. He is really an ap a man who's an apostle. And he told this story about this fellow that he knows in New Zealand. And this man was um, in his middle, during his middle age, and he came into this teaching on waiting on God. And he, he, he saw that he had never really practiced that discipline, and so he committed himself to learning to wait on God. And his practice was that he got up in the middle of the night, somewhere around two or three in the morning, and he'd spend an hour or two just waiting before God. That's something that he was able to do. And so um, he just developed this very special communion with the Lord. And this one night he was sitting there and just waiting on the Lord, and, and someone came in the room. He was just waiting there quietly, and, and, and he, he knew someone came in the room and, and, and he knew it was Jesus. He knew that Jesus came in the room with him. And so he just, he just sat there in this chair, and he didn't do anything. And he just waited, and the next thing he realized is that there was water dripping on him. And, and, he, and he wondered, well, what is this? You know, what, what's, what, what could be this water coming from? And then he, then he thought, well, if this is the Lord. And then he thought, oh, no, the Lord's crying. And he, cry, he cried out, Lord, why are you crying? Because he was grieved that Jesus was crying. And Jesus spoke to him and told him, I'm not crying for sadness. I'm crying for joy 
because I appreciate the fellowship that we have. See, Jesus, he longs for that. He he says that you, I'm standing at the door and knocking, and if you open the door, we're going to come in and we're going to sit down and have fellowship together. We'll sup together and we'll have communion. And that's, that's God's reward in all this work is that he gets to fellowship with us as well as we get the privilege of fellowshipping with him. Does Jesus get the privilege of fellowshipping with you? Or are you too busy doing his work? Or are you too busy doing other things? So I don't believe it's pleasing to God when we get ourselves so busy that we don't have time just to be with Jesus and just to, just to wait in his presence. And you guys, it's a battle. Boy, it took me a long time to come to a place where I could just get my thoughts under control and just learn that posture of waiting quietly. And, and, and for, for many weeks, it seemed futile. Like, oh, I just, I'm just never going to make it. This waiting on God stuff just isn't for me. But I persevered. I kept doing it. And, and as I did that, then I, then I began to see life in it. And I began to sense God speaking to me. And I began to sense fellowship with the Lord. And it, it has grown over, over the past eight years in my life now. And now when, when the presence of the Lord is there, I sense it immediately. I, I sense the presence of God really, really quickly. And I think it's because I've trained my senses to discern good and evil, like it talks about in Hebrews chapter 5. And, and, and this is something that's an inheritance for all of us. And it's something that's essential for us as a leader. Oh, you, we just need the anointing of God's Spirit. We need to, we need to be able to hear from God in a... In a moment, you know, in a crisis situation, people come up to you and they have a need and you go, oh, Lord, how am I going to touch this person? What am I going to do? And the Lord can say, this is what I want you to do with them. And it ministers life to them. And that all springs out of that place of communion. And then when there's that strength of communion, you're going to find the energy for your prayer life. See, then you're going to have the, the ability to intercede for the campus, to intercede for the nations. Because it's, it's like we're born along on the energy of the Spirit. It's no longer, in one sense, it's no longer us praying, but it, it's like Christ in us is praying through us. You know, It's like we find that place where the Spirit is helping us to do it. Now, we've got to do our part. You know, Jesus isn't going to do everything for us. But I think we can learn to tap in to that power of, of the Holy Spirit in our praying. And that, you guys, is, is the place where we'll become effective prayer warriors. It won't be just because we, we turn our willpower, screw up, and really make ourselves do it. But it's going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So I want to I close here today with that. And I want to commend you just so strongly that you will continue to cultivate. And if you're not doing this, you'll begin to build that quiet time of communion with the Lord every day. Where you're meeting with Him. Where you're worshiping Him. And then out of that is going to spring your prayer and your intercession And from there, you're going to go strengthen into a needy world, and you're going to be effective in his name. Amen? Amen. Father, I want to just, again, commend these teachings into your hand. May you write them on our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, I'm really humbled by the fact that you want to come and fellowship with me, that, that, Lord, I'm that significant to you, that you enjoy those quiet moments together. Thank you that all of us have that privilege, God. And may there be an increased hunger in our lives to pursue that with all of our hearts. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Bless our free time. And we ask you to help us as we come together to pray today at five, Lord. Just commit these things to you now, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. For more teaching and discipleship resources from Dick, visit fatherheartministries.net.